Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please check the show notes and use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Jody Nicholson, an artist based in Wales in the UK. We discussed how Jody built an identity as an adoptee of dual heritage, how adoption affected a relationship, trust and connection. We also talk about a relationship with her birth parents and her textile and dance practice as an artist. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I am Christelle Pellicure, your host. And today we are back in the UK and I am welcoming Jodi with us. Uh, Jodi, welcome. Hello. Hi. Hello, Christelle. So Jodi is a transracial adoptee from the UK with a mixed British and Jamaican heritage. She was born in Wolverhampton and now lives in South Wales with her adoptive parents. Uh, Judy is a movement and textile artist whose work centers around the theme of identity, adoption, and belonging. Her performance work acts as a vessel to support her personal journey of reclaiming identity, rediscovering hope, and reconnecting to ideas of home and family. Her textile work helps to facilitate conversation with communities around individual and community identity, home, and belonging. Thank you so much, Jodi, for being with us today. I'm so excited to, to have you. So That's just okay. to start, can you take us back on your adoption journey? So when were you adopted and how the process was and who adopted you? Um, so I was adopted when I was six years old. Um, before then, I was in and out of foster care, um, kind of with my mother or without. I was adopted by two white British parents I suppose that's how you put it um I was adopted with my sister as well so we were adopted together and uh we were so I when I was adopted I moved to London um before that I lived in Wolverhampton kind of area yeah that was my that's my beginning I suppose yeah so you said you mentioned that you were adopted with your sister uh into a white British family so does that help you in terms of your identity to have one of your siblings with you and having someone who look like you? Uh, or was that still difficult in terms of creating an identity for yourself as an adoptee? I think 
I don't know yeah I think I still found it difficult so we have me and my sister have the same birth mother but we have different fathers so she is white and I am mixed race and so I still have that kind of that difference so I'm still the only person of color in my family and it's funny because like we've although I suppose we're sisters so we kind of started with the same or similar kind of start in life um and both being adoptees uh we have had very different views on it and so we clash a lot um or clash at times with that and so it's uh, yeah it's a kind of a different challenge um so yes it is obviously I think it probably has given me something to have a sibling with me but yeah it didn't make it as plain sailing as maybe I'd have hoped (laughs) yeah that's interesting because I was also adopted with one sister uh, into my adoptive family we're not blood related but they do say that when two people are adopted in the same family it tend to be one is very pro-adoption and see it very Mm -hmm. positively and another one is kind of rebelling against the adoption found it a lot more difficult and I think for me it was I was the one who always say oh my adoption was not that straightforward whereas my sister doesn't see anything wrong with it so it is an an interesting view how two adoptees can see life completely differently even if you're in the Mm. same family okay so how did you then uh because you say you've you are the only one of color in your family how did you build your own identity and being able to to embrace I suppose your half of your side being from a Jamaican background how did you embrace that side of you I think I've really only started to embrace that over the last maybe kind of five to seven years kind of something around that it was a slow burn because I think for a long time I knew that I felt a certain way that I wasn't kind of sure or comfortable about myself but I didn't really understand the why that was I mean obviously I've always known that I was adopted so that wasn't like a surprise but I didn't I think fully understand how that was impacting my sense of self and how being the only mixed person in my family was yeah it looks like was um, like impacting how I felt by myself so it took me quite a while and it wasn't really till the last kind of like I say five to seven years that I have kind of actively started going right this is a thing I think I was having a conversation with another mixed race artist and I was like oh wow yeah these are these are some things that I feel but you're not adopted so why do you also feel these things or think these things why can we have this conversation around identity and it kind of it was almost that point where I went oh yeah it's because I am black (laughs) and so I am black I am mixed race I do have that I do need to to connect with that because I think it was a kind of a point where I realized that I felt very disconnected from that part of me um so yeah it's been a I don't know like seeking out more friendships embracing my hair and spending all the time I can on it (laughs) to make to kind of go oh this is how I look after this or this is how I can braid it or this is how yeah and kind of just finding where to sit in sit in me a bit more and did you have any community when you say you seek friendship did you have any community did your family adoptive family supported you in building a community of 
people who look like you. I suppose in London, it's a bit more diverse. But mm. I guess Cardiff, it's a very different environment. So did you have any support in terms of helping you reach out about your second heritage of the, the Black side? I think they, so we have a lot of conversations, maybe not a lot, but a few conversations where they tend to be, they tend to be quite challenging and don't always go how I would like <laughs> when it comes to me talking with them about my identity, not even my identity, my black identity and how um, I feel sometimes a lack of support. And they say that they do support me. And I don't not believe them when they say that they can, they do support me because, yeah, like you said, when we lived in London, it was a, a multi, more of a multiracial community and that did have, I think that did help. And it was when I, when we moved, when they made a decision to move to Wales because I live in a town called Lantwick Major, which is a very white town on the coast. Lovely place, but when it comes to the parallels of London's and here, it's very different. And that was something that they hesitated about, and I think for that reason, and they talked with me about that. And as a, as like what maybe like a nine? No, I was in my teens, my early teens. You know, I was. I think I didn't really understand what the impact would really be because I was saying, oh, it's just living somewhere else, and what's the issue? It's they're white people like you, so. I kind of didn't realize what that impact would be I think so yeah I think it was once I moved here that it kind of got harder and then as I grew older and kind of got to my mid-20s I started to started to realize what I needed for different conversations with um, other friends other black people other mixed race people and started to become more active in that I also there was a whole thing again uh, probably about seven years ago now where I lost my birth mother and that whole experience led me to look for my birth father who is my black birth parent and I think because of losing her and also kind of come to that realization that I needed to connect with my black heritage and the best person or group of people in the world really for that if it's possible is your birth family um because it's not just about sometimes being black it's about them and that history so yeah that also has started to become a thing to help me with that so you, you were in foster care to start with so you still had connection with your birth mother because you didn't have connection with your birth father yeah my birth father wasn't around much I think there was I think there was a few times that he was there like in like maybe like a month or something like that but um <laughs> like not long not at all and I was mostly with my birth mother but it was very fragmented I was told recently or reminded recently that I had about 72 placements between the point I was born to about three three four years old um so it was very fragmented but she was there yeah and that imagine itself is that movement even if you are a, a baby there is mm. still a lot of trauma associated with all those changes because I think that's a mistake people make a lot of assume a lot of time that oh you are a baby you can't remember mm. but internally that separation and that movement creates some trauma within us I yeah. know for myself I went from my my birth mother to um, some Catholic missionary then I went to an orphanage and then I was moved to France and when I grew up I ended up I couldn't stop moving around and it's like mm. I had it to every 
I don't know, every year I had it to move house and I didn't understand it until quite later on in my, my adulthood why I was doing this in my life. So that is the impact yeah. um, of those changes in our lives. So do you think has that impacted you in a, in a way on uh, all these changes and that disconnection of your birth mother and or this fragmentation of seeing her and then not seeing her? And... Yeah, I think it has. Like, because when, when I kind of was retold that and when I think back and reflect on who I am now and what the things that I struggle with most I think kind of connection with people and like kind of trusting in those connections is a real challenge yeah it's not a surprise I I mean like yeah you know it's um because we we keep moving away from you know you get attached to someone and then you're removed from it it's then mm. you're, you know, subconsciously you think like, oh, am I going to be removed again? I cannot be trusting this person or staying attached to this person just in case I have to go again. So that, yeah, um, yeah that's not a surprise at all. Yeah, because I think because there's that, there's that fact that when you're a child, you're moving away and back and forth and all of this. And then as you start to grow older and you have social workers or your new family kind of answering these questions of or talking to you about your birth mother and you kind of go but why why have I been adopted and they go oh well she loved you very much but you just couldn't be with her and it's like I think that kind of narrative starts I think for definitely for me it's like teaching me like oh okay love equals at some point you move or at some point they leave or at some point they're absent and I think that's something that I've, I'm really trying to unlearn for myself because as a kid it's just like they're inherently in my body as a book and I'm as a, as a dancer um there's a book called the body leaves keeps, keeps the, score, the score or something like that Keep, yeah, yeah keeps the the keeps score. The score. <laughs> um, all about kind of trauma and grief and yeah I think that's something I just kind of go okay I think I'm come to a point of accepting that to a point this would all could always be here for me and it's about me now being able to kind of nurture that or soften that not maybe not nurture but like kind of soften that and kind of comfort it to say actually no that's not the way it is or or I or noticing when I'm going to start pushing away from someone because I'm getting uncomfortable because we're too close or and so I also start to push away to go yeah, 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 you're going to leave me soon, so I'm going to leave you first. Um, when I, If I start noticing that behaviour going, no, Jodie, you have to stick with it. You can't move away because they're probably not going to move away. And if they do, well, then they do. It's not because there's something wrong with you or because of what your past has been like. It's like sometimes people move away or things change and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, the relationship, yeah, it is. it is a lot of struggle, relationship, trust and being able to trust yourself too it's not even trusting other it's trusting yourself as well yeah 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 (laughs) yeah I think it does lie most with ourselves then because it's something that's happened to us right and it's and so we have to do the work we want to be supported in the work but it's work that we have to do I think definitely what that I have to do anyway <laughs> no no absolutely I think all of us have to do that work and like you say it's unlearning so and nobody else can mm. unlearn that for us so it is a, a personal journey as well so you mentioned about the body keeps the score and I really mm. like that book because 
you know, I, I've learned a lot about trauma reading that book. And it is true that, you know, we're not always aware of it, but our body keeps so much of the things that mm. you've been through. And I know for myself that when I get stressed, my body gets very tense and I have to shake. And movement is a therapeutic thing for me. So I love dance, but also just shaking up my body when when things yeah. get a bit tense. Um, but you are a dancer. So is that has been very therapeutic for you to use your your practice as a as a way of healing from um, part of your trauma or from you know difficulty in life? How have you found that practice? Yeah, I think it is definitely the way that I can kind of communicate to others, but also just kind of communicate to myself to understand myself through it because I think. Yeah, like we, we've mentioned, like these things happen to us as a child when we don't have the language or the understanding. And so then as you grow older, you can gain language and understanding of what's happened. But for me, what I have found is that the best way is for me not to sometimes to attempt to put language on it or at least not first and just to kind of feel it and express it and kind of let it go and let it kind of uh, transform into something something else uh like I it's funny because I started dancing once I was adopted it was one of those things that now I had a home kind of thing I could start I had these things where I could do classes and stuff and I just took to it and I never stopped from that point to now and I think it has like that and kind of generally kind of being physical and present with my body is a way of me kind of getting through each day each day I'll do something yeah because it helps me to process things I'm like I'm at the moment I'm making a working on making a solo piece all about my relationship between my birth mother and me and kind of just unpicking that relationship and ways of communicating that um and that's yeah a movement that will be a movement piece and I think it's the to think of doing it in any other way or any other art form seems too much but when I'm like, oh, I'll be here present with my body and I'll just work through it. it, feels like a much more kind of safer, in a way, way of doing it. Yeah, I think we tend, with trauma, we tend to disassociate ourselves from our body. And, you know, mm. it's not always a conscious act, but it's something that I try to be aware of when I am not within my body and having to try to come back. Yeah, I think I used to do that a lot during my teenagehood where, I completely I am in my body but not I don't know how to explain that but yeah you know you are physically there in your body but you're not being aware of being present uh you're completely mm. like in a different sphere so it's yeah I think movement is definitely something I've uh I've helped me uh in the past you talk about your piece about um your relationship with your mother how are you able to to tell us a bit more how your relationship with your birth parents because for you it's kind of an open adoption or you know birth parents are so can you tell us a bit more about that relationship if, if you don't mind so can you share about that <laughs> yeah I can share about that um so yeah you're right it was like a open adoption that I had or at least a semi-open. We didn't see each other, but I had letter contact with my birth mother. Um, I had no contact with my birth father. And so, yeah, so it means that I have boxes of letters and cards and um, little objects and things that she's sent me over the years. Those kind of officially 
was supposed to stop once I reached 18, as in like the adoption agency stopped facilitating that at that age, because technically you're an adult. Because I had a younger sister who it hadn't stopped for, she kind of kept going through her. And then my sister did choose to like reunite with her in person once she reached, I think she was a bit over 18 when she did that, but when she reached that kind of age. And I didn't because well we're very different people we made different choices (laughs) and but I just found it too hard I think I was really worried um I knew that we had were separated from her because that she didn't cope very well she had different mental health issues and I was worried that I wasn't certain so I didn't want to meet her and then choose not to see her again and that had a really negative effect on her And I suppose in a way on me as well. So I kind of was like, I have to be really certain about this until I can make this choice. And I never reached a a certain enough point because then because of her mental health issues, she eventually, I say eventually, um, she committed suicide. So that's how she passed. Mm, And that was kind of like, that's okay. I was like, oh, do I say this? It's triggering for other people. But for me, um. It's become part of the fact now, or part of the life. So I'm. Um, that's kind of yeah, it's okay. And so that was kind of like the, the turning point for me when it came to thinking about my relationships with my birth parents. Yeah, my mother had kind of been present one somehow, one way or another, through letters and things. And my birth father hadn't been. And I was kind of going, oh, I made too. I took too long to make this choice about her and now I'm feeling all these things I thought oh god I can't have that happen again I have another parent I can't have that happen again so I just have to kind of almost I mean I say throw caution to the wind it took me about two years to make the decision so I didn't quite throw caution to the wind but um I took my time with it but um and so then that began my journey then of reaching out to my birth father and kind of attempting to fill in that blank uh, with him and there that was kind of an interesting journey because I did all like the you like there's like a a register that you can put your name on and then if that other person that you're looking for is on there too they link you um I did that and that did nothing I con- contacted adoption agencies and that did nothing and then one day I was just searching through all the letters that I had and I found one from an auntie on my birth father's side and it had an address in the corner and I was like normally you can't have a personal address on because they hide all that kind of info but somehow it was there so I chose to write a letter to that address and I said hi my name's Jodie I've adopted this I'm looking for this person if anyone who lives in this house still has any information and I'd be really grateful if you contacted me and it turns out that she still lived there. So one day, um, this was all happening kind of like in lockdown. So like one day I got a phone call and I answered it and I I heard a voice go, hi, I'm your auntie. I've just got your letter. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and then she connected to, to my birth father. And then that was when our story started. You met up with birth father. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was in lockdowns that we, so it was just kind of phone calls because right. we couldn't, technically weren't allowed to meet because no one could meet. And then after a year or so of kind of fortnightly phone calls kind of thing, yeah, we met in person and that was very surreal. 
I can't imagine. Yeah, it was very surreal. Yeah. And did yeah. you, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but did you get the answer you're looking for when you met your father? Because I guess you had millions of questions about why you've been put into adoption yeah. and why nobody came for you. <laughs> yeah, and like why was he so absent? And yeah, we had very different so I kind of felt like I had some of the story through like official papers and stuff. And like, it was interesting hearing his side of that story because I could see where things matched. And then you then you could just see it from his viewpoint. And I was like, oh, okay, your viewpoint is a little bit different. And sometimes it felt that he could be a bit like flippant with stuff. And I think he was, maybe he was trying to use humor or like lightheartedness to kind of protect himself or, you know, this, you know, deal with the situation of being confronted with someone going, so why were you not there? <laughs> so I totally give him that space and understanding that he did that. But that also in the time, at the time kind of frustrated me because I was like, how can you be so flippant with how I'm, how hurt I'm feeling or how hurt I have felt? but we're good. We kind of resolved that. It's not been easy and we have long times when we don't talk. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah, I got those answers from him. Yeah. we got those answers and it's kind of, the main thing I got was like looking at somebody who has lots of my mannerisms and I went, oh, this is why I'm like how I am. This is why I'm stubborn. This is why I'm fiery. This is why I'm just, yeah. You just suddenly see yourself and you go, oh, this is what it's like to have a parent who is your biological parent wow that's um that's a great journey and it, you mentioned you've got so many letters are you you are an artist it's interesting because a few weeks ago I was in a, helping out uh, into community engagement about um, a storyteller based in Wales and it's, it's also mixed race and it's discovered mm. a lot of paper letters from his father to his mother who was living in Cardiff at the time. But he was in care for a long, or most of his life, uh, of his childhood. But he's used this letter as a, a way of the, telling his own story in, on stage. So I wonder, are you going to do something about your letters? Are you going to, is that going to be another artwork you're going to be exploring yeah um well the letters were predominantly from me my between me and my birth mother they are the starting point of the solo work that I'm making so I'm not entirely sure yet how I will use them if I will use all of their context just as it is kind of raw or if I'll just use that as a kind of a starting point and kind of build from there but then I also have in the past, actually, I did, while I was studying, I used one of the letters literally as it was. I kind of read it and it formed lots of different movement with other dancers and things. And there has been times that I've embroidered some of the context of the letters into, yeah, into artworks. So you get kind of fragments of things. So yes, I suppose basically I do use those letters and I use the objects as well. Like, um, yeah, I like to do that because I, I like to think of kind of archives and everything that kind of comes out of them and I think there's something very powerful when you see other people's parts of them and their memories and stuff like that. So you're also uh, a textile artist because you just said you're embroidering um, some of the the words into textile. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about that part of your work? Yeah so this part of my work so I guess you as I kind of mentioned before 
I tend to use it more often or not in kind of a community sense. So I kind of like to facilitate conversations between me and kind of groups of people. There are times when I haven't and I just use it as a sort of a solo practice. But I, yeah, I think I got quite fascinated with quilts and quilting and how quilts are often made historically as kind of like very practical objects but they're something that you may gift to somebody that kind of holds kind of family identity or individual identity or kind of stories kind of within them and so I am interested in making quilts that hold the stories of well one one dream is to make one that holds the stories of different adoptees and like mm-hmm. different adoptee kind of stories and having as a big kind of community thing a community of adoptees that all share a part of themselves on this quilt I've done that a few times in smaller iterations but just like just little community quilts for different areas so we kind of it's a nice a nice little act we all get together mm-hmm. and we sit and we all have a patch and we putting a part of ourselves on this patch whatever it is and the stories that come up as we're making it as we're chatting and the histories that get captured and and then at the end of it, you have a little bit of people. I think it's the thing I enjoy the most. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to come when you do it. <laughs> yes, I will. I, I've got to put it together. I will do it. <laughs> okay, so we're coming to the end of our conversation. And I always ask my guest one final question around if uh, you had to give um, an advice to your younger self or to a young adoptee what that would be oh that's a I find it's a tough one it's funny I've been thinking about what will I say when I ask when I'm asked this question I think it's something about trusting yourself and I think I spent a lot of time searching for my identity through what uh, how other people have perceived me or thought about me or other facts that are kind of one way or another separated from me and so I think I would say like you hold your own identity and it is whatever it is you want it or need it to be um the power is within you to hold on to that and to shape that and I think I'd like to have learned that a bit quicker (laughs) thank you so much no that's that's great thank you great advice okay (laughs) oh thank you so much for your time I really enjoyed uh, having you on our podcast and um where can people follow your work so I'm most active um on Instagram. So Instagram is at Jody Ann Nicholson, I think it's underscore dance underscore artist. Um, and that's Jody without an E. And I also have a website which is www.jodyannicholson.com. Right. And all of this will be in the show notes so you can find it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jody. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And take care. That's okay. Thank you for connecting and thank you for inviting me. <laughs> this is Christelle Pellecure and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.